All right. We're taking all the best old school wisdom and blending it with the top new school methods to bring you the optimal coaching strategies. This, this, this is the 8020 Baseball Podcast with Coach Bo. Welcome all you great coaches. Coach Bo with you here, fired up for this episode 126, coming out every Tuesday with a new episode here. Today's episode, I'm going to share a story about getting boat raced in Compton, getting boat raced in Compton, how I screwed up. I learned from it. I thought it was right, but I learned from it. This was years ago. I want to share this story with you and how we can all learn from this. And I'm going to tie it into something that happened the other night in the Padres Giants baseball game that I was watching. And it's also something that comes up at every level. And we're going to get into that in part two today. I have a second, just a quick second tip for wet field conditions, practicing on wet field conditions, trying to make the most. Baseball obviously is an outdoor sport. Youth baseball definitely is not an entity, a group, an organization. Youth baseball is not the place to be able to just have easy access to great indoor facilities all the time, much less some of these big indoor facilities that college and pro teams, specifically college teams in the North have so I have a simple, easy to implement wet field condition tip. And I have a tip for those of you, which is probably most of you, probably all of us at one point, if not every season, if not with multiple players, I have a tip to help you try to get your hitters, your batters, those batters, those hitters that you have to stay in the box and not jump out. Well, they may not jump out of the box, but they're stepping in the bucket. They're bailing out when the pitch is coming. There's a little bit of a fear, anxiety, the pitch. Maybe they had an incident where they got hit or maybe they saw their friend get hit or maybe they just have that fear of getting hit by the pitch. So they bail, they, they back up, they step back, they jump back in the batter's box, not back towards the catcher necessarily, but back away from the plate. And I know most of you that have coached just a little bit know exactly what I'm talking about. At the end of the day, you can't just simply wave a magic wand and remove this and have kids just stop doing it. But there are some strategies that I think can help. And that's the key. It's not about being perfect as coach. And I'm going to talk about that here in the first part right now. Speaking of not being perfect, the message that I'm trying to share here at 8020 Baseball, one of the main messages, I should say, is that coaching is challenging. It, it is very challenging. It's like parenting. It's just like anything in life, being whatever, being a, a leader, or a manager of a company or a owner of a company or somebody who's an executive of a company or just being somebody who's in charge of other people. It's hard. And it's definitely a challenge when you're talking about youth baseball, not just that it's the age that you're working with that we're disconnected with, which makes it even harder sometimes because we're much older. Also, the varying backgrounds, the various places these kids are, where they're at with their knowledge of the game, where they're at with their discipline, where they're at with their interest of the game, so on and so forth. I mean, I could keep going on about what makes coaching such a big challenge, but it is such a huge reward to coach. It really, truly is. And here at 8020 Baseball, we're trying to focus on those key things that we can control, those big needle movers that will drive the maximum amount of success that we can get within those constraints, those confines of a youth baseball season, which is limited practice time, limited equipment, limited experience, and, and you know, between the players and the coaches, et cetera, et cetera. We're trying to really just speed up that learning curve here because we know that coaching baseball and being a coach in general, being a teacher, being a parent, being a manager, just in a business is just hard. It's very challenging. And so what we're trying to do here is give you a platform, something to come to you once a week that 
that can help speed up that learning curve, gives you an operating system along with tips and strategies that can work in certain situations. But overall, really that big operating system update upgrade. So we're here, 8020 Baseball, to speed up the coaching learning curve to greatly shorten your path to quality coaching. So in this first part of the episode, I'd like to share out a story that I call Getting Boat Raced in Compton. So there I was, the year was about, let's say 2008. So it was about 14, 15 years ago, 13, 14, 15 years ago in that ballpark. And I was helping out, I was coaching football. I coached football for four years. I played football all the way through high school and I ended up just playing baseball in college, although I did have scholarship offers to every college in the country, across the country. I say that very humbly because obviously it's part genetics. And I had some really great coaching in high school, the football coaches, the baseball coaches. I was really blessed. The school I went to had some just really quality coaching, just a lot of coaching depth. And all of those assistant coaches that worked with me all went on to have great careers and are still having great coaching careers. Just, I was really blessed. So I was coaching football because I had this football background. So I was coaching. It helped me get this gig as a teacher back when I was starting out. And that's what I needed to do to get a job at the time. And of course, I was going to coach baseball, but I ended up coaching football. So I'm there on the sidelines at Compton High. And the team, I'm coaching the JV team. I went out to help as an assistant. You would go if you wanted to go help out, coach the JV teams. If you were a varsity coach, you'd go pitch in and work with the JV and go to the games and help them out. And most of you know, high school football, JV teams are eh, not really like the, the focus of the coaches and they're not really like the priority. Like freshman is really a big deal. Obviously, varsity is the biggest deal. But our JV team, we were trying to, you know, win some games and try to have some success. But but we showed up to Compton High. We didn't really have uh, the team that we needed to compete. Compton was really good that year. They had some really good years. They ran a wing tee and they just boat raced us. Just absolutely crushed us, dominated us. Now, here's the message I want to share. We were getting just annihilated, annihilated. I don't even know what the score was, but it had to have been like 60 something to like zero or something. I don't know. Maybe it was like 62 to seven. It was a lot to a little. It was late in the game, about three minutes left, four minutes left. And Compton dropped back to throw a pass and they completed the pass for a touchdown. So maybe it made it like 70 to seven. I don't know. It was so much. I think their scoreboard shut off because they were they were putting too many points on it so fast. I think it just blew out. It blew a fuse. And speaking of blowing a fuse, I blew a fuse. I went out about 20 feet onto the field and I, in a very firm tone, yelled across to the other coaches on the Compton team, the Compton coaches. I said, hey, like, you know, show some class. What's going on here? What are you doing? You guys are already kicking our butt. What's going on? And I just, you know, basically told them off. And I was really upset that they were continuing to score. Fast forward. I completely disagree with my coaching thought process at the time. Hey, coaches, the other team's job is to score and keep scoring. And our job, my job should have been to stop them. And instead of telling them to take it easy on us, I should have just said, hey, we got to figure out a way. This is good. This is good for our players to keep getting exploited because we need to get better. This is an epidemic almost in even in professional game, in the professional level. I saw it the other night in the Giants Padres game. And some of you probably saw this. So the recording is coming out on a Tuesday. This was about... I'm recording this on a Saturday. It was like three nights ago. It might've been like a Wednesday. So last Wednesday, as you hear this, and some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. The Giants-Padres game, the Giants stole second base. One of the Giants players stole second base. The score was 10 to nothing. The game still has a lot of inning left, a lot of outs left. 
a lot of run potential left. So who's to say you should just stop at a certain number? But I don't actually agree with stopping at all. I don't agree with the pity play. Here's it hit me of like five years ago. It just hit me. I go, I was out coaching a game and we were boat racing in a baseball game. We were crushing a team and we started to tell our players not to go on pass balls. For example, a pass ball, a wild pitch went all the way to the backstop with one of those ex- fields that had a backstop pretty far back, which was, it was one of those fields where essentially if the ball got by the catcher to the backstop, the runner from third was pretty much going to score pretty easy. It wasn't going to kick back. It wasn't going to be an easy sprint for the catcher. It was a long ways. And this ball even ricocheted off. Most of you know what I'm talking about. It kind of ricocheted off to the right towards one of the dugouts. Our runner could have crawled home and been safe. But yet we decided the third base coach, I guess we're all kind of on the same page. We all kind of backed off and we, we had told our guys, hey, we're not taking an extra base. We're going station to station. Essentially, we got to get forced. You got to force to the next base. Most of you know what I'm talking about, whether it's a hit that moves you up. You basically move one base at a time. Unless it's a double, then you'd be pushed two bases, yada, yada, yada. Well, I just remember the look on the other coach's face and the feeling that they, I got this sense that they did not like us showing them pity like that, like feeling bad for them. In fact, there was a kid on the other team that I overheard him. It was a third baseman. I overheard him yell to the shortstop. I just wish they'd keep scoring. This is embarrassing. Them stopping like this, them taking it easy on us is more embarrassing. This is, I'm paraphrasing what the kid said. And I just remember like going, you're right. Not, the only thing more embarrassing than getting boat raced than, and what I mean by boat race is getting just blown out, just getting crushed in a game by a lot of runs or a lot of points or whatever. The only thing worse than that is when the other team starts playing with pity they start having pity for you and they stop doing things that are obviously basically like, oh, we feel bad for you. So we're not going to score here. We feel bad for you. We're not going to do this. Now, I'm not talking about them taking a, a single that maybe could have been a double. You know, I know we've talked about this in a, in a recent episode where like, you know, you really want to teach runners to get out of the box, the batters, the hitters box, the batters box quick and try to, you know, look to on everything and then go from there. But they, it wasn't like the situation where a runner or a hitter was rounding first and he maybe could have made it to second or likely could have made it a second, but he shut it down. This is like the kid could have crawled home and touched home and the catcher still probably would have been chasing that ball down, but he didn't. And just that, that sense of pity that I think the other team felt we had for them, or at least that perception that to me really was just, I had this epiphany. I said, you know what? No, no, no. Sports needs to be played one way. I truly believe one way. And then there's nuances to this because each situation might be a little different. There's rubbing it in, but there's also just playing hard and just going and just, hey, the other team's job is to stop us. We're not, our job is not to stop ourselves. We're not going to get excessively greedy. We may shut down our tricky first and third offense or our fake double, fake bunts, double steal play or whatever. We're not going to bring out all the tricks. Of course, you shouldn't do that when you're up a lot. But I do think just playing it hard and just telling the other coach, hey, we're going to keep scoring runs. We're not going to do any of our extra plays or our bonus trick plays and things like that if we're up a lot. Or, but I would also be upfront with it kind of to wrap this all together. I think our job as coaches is to not complain. I saw something on Facebook on a coaching group the other day and the coach was complaining about the other team continuing to steal. I saw the Giants 
coach get kind of the Padres got upset. The Padres got upset at the Giants for stealing the base and then bunting in the sixth inning. And this unwritten rule, this thing, I don't think we've actually sat down and go, hey, is this really the best way to play it? I think it's just it's always been that way or this is the way it's always been. So we must accept it. Like, I think this is actually a sheep mentality going along sheeply. And and I don't agree with it. And I did. In fact, for years, I thought, oh, you take it easy. You, sh- you shut it down. You don't do this. Okay. Maybe you shut down these excessive, these greedy, these trick plays, things like that. But just playing flat out hard, going hard, keep trying to score runs, that should not change. And you shouldn't expect it from the other team. In fact, I've gotten to the point where before a game, I talk to other coaches and I tell them, hey, if you guys get up a lot, keep scoring, keep doing whatever it is you're doing. Just do what it is. Don't change what you're doing. Just do what you're doing. If we get up a lot, don't expect us to change what we're doing. We're going to keep playing the game hard. We're going to keep playing it the way we always play it. Our job is to stop you. Your job is to stop us from scoring. Okay. We're not supposed to stop ourselves and you're not supposed to stop yourself. Like I said, there's a caveat with those kind of extra bonus plays that that all teams might have or some teams might have. So with that said, I saw the Giants Padres game the other night. I saw the the back and forth. There was an interview, a couple interviews after the game talking about it. And then I thought back to that Compton story, Compton High. We're over there playing them in football. And, And I look back now and I thought, man, I shouldn't have said anything. I should have been like, hey, keep doing what you're doing. You guys keep scoring. Keep throwing the ball. Keep running the ball. Keep doing. Hey, your job is to get the ball in that end zone. Our job is to stop that. End of the story, okay? So, and then it also hit me, you know, in the last five, about five years ago, it hit me like that pity, kind of that pity. I go, you're right. I'd rather the other team keep whooping our butt. I'd rather it go from 15 nothing to 20 nothing or 17 to 5 to 27 to 5. I'd rather the score go up than their pity for us go up and that apparent and that obvious pity that they're showing. So just keep that in mind. I'm trying here at 8020 Baseball, we're really trying to give you a different look, but not to be different. We're just trying to see the, we're trying to figure out the optimal way to play the game. Of course, there's caveats and nuances that are, there's outlier situations, of course, for all of this. But I do think this is something we really, I, I do think if you hear me out on this, you really can understand where I'm coming from. And I do think at the beginning of the game, you should just have a quick, you're talking to the other coach. If you get a chance to say, hey, hey, if you guys get up on us, just keep playing your game, play hard. Like don't show us pity and slow it down or do whatever. Just keep scoring keep doing your thing. And the same here. Don't expect us to just shut down how we play and start being easy and taking it easy on you. Big problem with that is for the team that's up a huge, well, there's a problem with the team that's down. Cause then they have that sense of like, Oh, they feel pity. They feel bad for us. You sense of like, they look down on you. But the really, I think the team that really is at a disadvantage or that it hurts the most is the team that's up a lot because then they start to play a different type of game, a passive, a non-aggressive. They're taking it easier. They're not aggressive. Well, now you're expecting those kids to turn back around. Maybe it's a double header. Maybe they have a game in a few days. Now you're telling them to flip it back on. And of course, they most of them probably can. But if you have a really good team and you're up a lot, that's and often over the course of the season, it's hard for kids to go back and forth between this this kind of mindset. This hey, we're are we aggressive or are we not? You know, do we play hard? Do we not? It, that kind of that mixed message that subconsciously players can get sometimes. So I don't think it's a bad idea to have a talk with the other coach just so they're you're on the same page and let your players know. Say. I think it's good to tell your players, hey, when the other team is scoring, they're going to, hey, our job is to stop them. And you should say it like this, like, I don't expect the other team to stop and take it easy on. I don't want them to take it easy on. Make sure your players understand the reason why you don't want the other team to take it easy on you and show pity. The only thing worse than getting your butt whooped out on the field is getting your butt whooped and the other team showing you pity in front of everybody, like not advancing a base when they could have easily walked to the next base. That's embarrassing. That's way more embarrassing than getting beat 20 to nothing. All right. At least... 
that's how I feel. All right, wet field conditions. Now, I am definitely not the foremost expert at handling or optimizing wet field conditions for practice. I grew up in Southern California. It rained, sure. And during baseball season, you definitely get some wet fields from time to time, but definitely wasn't something that was happening often enough where we got really dialed in and knew all the tricks and things like that. But I do remember a strategy, a very simple strategy that the Hall of Fame baseball coach that I played for in high school would do on rainy days. The infield, the dirt, most infields have some dirt, right? Either around the bases or the entire infield is dirt or there's half dirt, half grass like a traditional baseball field. And that dirt, when it gets muddy, right, that's where it gets problematic. It's not as much the grass, although you want to sometimes take it easy on grass and it can puddle up and be problematic. But it's, it's usually the dirt that gets muddy and just, you know, unplayable. Our coach would go out into the outfield. He would take us out to the outfield or he would take us over to the football field or to a soccer field or to an adjacent open area. And he would throw down bases. He would put down throw down bases. He would take those portable bases and set up in a field. And now it did not replicate exactly the bounces and everything on our field. And it wasn't the full size field necessarily, although there was a spot we could go to get almost the same sized area as, as we did on our regular field. But we would go out there and we could run all of our infield drills. We could run our base running drills. We could run a lot of the same drills. Of course, it's not exactly the same, but it's a heck of a lot better than just going home. It's a heck of a lot better than sitting in a dugout and talking to your players all the time. If you don't already have a set or if your team doesn't already have a set of throwdown bases, these are these portable bases, they call them throwdown bases. They're rubber or whatnot. You can get them online. They're not a whole, they're not, you can get some cheap ones. You can get some medium price. You can get some expensive ones. But at the end of the day, having a set of bases, you can go set up a field when your field is not usable. It's not playable. I just think it's a good little thing to have in your toolbox, a good thing to fall back on when you can't get on that main field. Also, when the field gets wet, the grass gets wet, you can use other types of balls. Maybe you can't, you know, your team doesn't have the resources to get a whole nother set of four full buckets or two full buckets of, say, rubber balls. You know, those yellow dimple balls that they have in the batting cages. Sure, it's not the same thing. I get it. But for ground ball purposes, maybe that's something because it's not going to suck up the water like a baseball. It's not going to absorb the water. Things like that. Just even like maybe two dozen of those or even like a dozen of those, just hitting some ground balls, getting that work in instead of zero work, you're doing something, say a level zero practice or a level one practice. Now you're at a level four. It's obviously it's not a level eight, nine in terms of using your main field and having all your equipment available and everything like that. But sometimes that little bit can make a difference over the course of the season, especially if this happens two or three times, that can add up to an extra couple hours of practice, maybe an extra two, three hours of decent or quality practice time that you wouldn't otherwise get. So get some throwdown bases, get some baseballs that are all weather baseball things. Yeah, you can't do full batting practices necessarily and things like that. Now, you can obviously go to an indoor batting cage. You can go to indoor, like an indoor facility that has pitching mounds. That's good. That's good. But it's a little harder to do base running and ground balls in those facilities. It's a little easier to do like right batting practice and some bullpen work, some pitching work. But this is a little tip that I think can help out over the course of the season. And I'm sure a lot of you are already using this or already thought about this, but definitely something you should have. And it does send that message to your players to be resourceful. 
that they're not just quitting, that they're not afraid to play in some wet field conditions, that a little rain isn't going to stop them, that it shouldn't stop practice. And they're not looking for that easy out. And you as a coach are being a little, albeit it's mild resilience. It's nothing like a training or going through some kind of like Navy SEAL training or some crazy or running an ultra marathon. But there is some sort of resilience. There's some mild resilience, that mindset of resilience, like, oh, this isn't working. Boom. Let's shift and pivot to this. I think it's always good to show that to kids because at the end of the day, our main job as coaches, our two main jobs, players should enjoy their time out there. They should have fun, but they should become better human beings and they should be better prepared for life through baseball. Baseball, to me, youth sports, in this case, baseball, to me, is the best way, the best vehicle in which we can use, the best vehicle in which we can drive and put players and drive them to being better adults. To me, youth baseball, dealing with failure, dealing with making an error, teamwork, coachability, getting a little hurt, some pressure, being in the spotlight, getting out there on the the center stage, on the mound, et cetera, et cetera. Youth baseball to me is and can be and should be an awesome, awesome platform to get kids better prepared for life. To me, it's probably, if done right, could be the best platform because it's also fun. It's a game. It should be competitive. It should be fun and it should be enjoyable, but it teaches so many of those skills. It inherently, if we use it right, it teaches so many of those lifelong skills in a gamified way. When we hear the word gamification, it really is life. It's essentially like a microcosm of life gamified. So it's a fun thing. It's like, hey, we're going to take you to this kids. You're going to sign up for this seminar class. We're going to sit you at these desks and we're going to talk about how to be better for life. No, we're going to go out on a baseball field and play a sport and we're going to disguise all these struggles that you're going to deal with in life. We're going to disguise them and wrap them into a sport or they're inherently going to be built into this sport. So showing a little resiliency or a little adjustment and being able to pivot and showing your players, hey, so the field's not usable. So we're going over here. And a lot of you are already doing this in many ways, but this is just another way to do it with throwdown bases, these all-weather bases. They're cheap, they're light. You can keep them in your car. You can just have them as part of your coaching gear and some all-weather baseballs. That's not a bad idea because even if you can only get 100 ground balls and maybe each of your players just gets 10 ground balls, well, that's 100 ground balls or 10 more ground balls and maybe the other teams in your area are getting. And it also sends that message, just a little rain, a little this, just because our first option doesn't work or isn't working doesn't mean we can't find an alternative. That skill alone is massively useful in life, being able to pivot, adjust, and keep moving forward. All right, part three of today's episode of this week's episode. You got players, you got hitters, you got batters that are jumping back. They're hopping backwards. They have a fear of getting hit by the ball. Trust me, this is common. Even the best players might have a little bit of a fear. And you may have an almost an entire team of kids that don't really care about getting hit by the ball and they just dig right in. But you're probably going to run into a player or two or a handful of players that you have on your team that are a little intimidated by getting hit by a pitch. There's definitely some different ways to deal with. There's not really a one size fits all. And and I don't think there's a, a magic bullet to fix this. But I do think there are some things that we can do as coaches that can help this. And I'm just going to share a quick little tip out that I shared on a Facebook coaching group the other day. And here's what this coach said. The coach said, so I'm coaching a nine, a nine U, 10 U little league baseball team. Yesterday, we decided to let our pitchers throw in batting practice to get our kids used to batting against kids instead of coaches. Every single one of our kids were jumping out of the box on every pitch. Even when good strikes were thrown, I was shocked at how scared all of them were. And it kept me awake last night. The only thing I know is to keep doing it, keep getting them in the batter's box. Hopefully they will grow accustomed to it. Any suggestions? So this was, I thought this was great. This coach, Coach Atkin 
questions. This is great comment. And I just put on there, I just put this little tidbit as a response. And I said, there were some other good responses. So there was definitely some other good tips I thought that other coaches shared out. So I didn't want to double up on those and get redundant. But I did add this one and it was, quote, maybe try using a reward for those kids that don't step back past the designated line, such as something you could just spray paint real easily or a string that you could just put a string in the batter's box. You got to be careful if the kid, you don't want something to trip on or step on and roll an ankle. I know they're 9-10U in this case, or rolling an ankle is really hard to do at that age. But nonetheless, a little spray paint, just bring out a little can of spray paint, something that would stick to the dirt. They sell it. It's out there. A lot of baseball fields use it now as their foul line stuff. And you do batting practice. You do your typical batting practice or your game scenario, scenario, a scrimmage, i.e. scrimmage, intra-squad scrimmage or whatnot. And you're doing your, your hitters are in there. And let's say you're going batting practice. They get 10 reps, right? They get 10 pitcher or whatnot. And you just simply have a coach, one of the coaches that's also watching and checking out their swing and also their approach, checking out their approach. Remember, we've talked about this. Go back, listen to the episodes where we talk about the hitting approach. This should be something that is really just talk. This is the one area that I think during practice, this is the one area outside of safety that should always be something that coaches pay really close attention to and and address every single time. I should say we should always be paying close attention, but safety is something that we should address immediately. Disrespect of teammates, lack of hustle. That should be something that we should address immediately. The other thing that I think the one skill item, the one skill that I think we should address a lot and and frequently is the hitting approach. In other words, are they swinging at good pitches or not swinging at good pitches, depending on if it's two strikes or less than two strikes. Go back and listen to those hitting approach episodes or go over to 8020baseball.com, www.8020baseball.com. There's an article there. By the way, I transitioned, I migrated my website and I'm updating, I'm trying to improve it. And so there's been some adjustments. So if things aren't working quite yet, I got my developer working on some things in the back and we're trying to make it a better experience for coaches, just faster, running faster, just a better experience. It was good before, but I'm really trying to just take it up a level from there. So as things transition over, parts might not exactly work exactly perfect. So my developer and I are working together on really getting at it. And uh, for the most part, it's running great, but there are some things. I know the drill guide is going to be updated here. Actually, I got the finalized updated copy sent back from my great graphic designer. One of my team, uh, graphic designer Sherry, does a great job with these. And uh, she finished it up actually just a little before I went live with this recording. That'll be put onto the website. So that piece is, and I'm trying to automate that. So when you come and get it, it automates it to you. I, I get an email that says, I get your name and I see who you are and it's great. And I want to reach out and talk to you guys. Or if you guys reach out, the communication. I do think my email, coachbo at 8020baseball.com has had some inconsistencies. It's worked great over the years, but I know since we migrated it this last week and a half, it's kind of been a little glitchy, but uh, you know, basic technology glitches when you're shifting a website over moving it from host to host, things like that. So anyways, go over to 8020baseball.com. You'll see the article on there about hitting approaches. And this is something that I think should be talked about consistently at practice. And so coaches should be paying attention close. There should be a coach to kind of come back around long way around to this. So I bet you're watching these kids as they're jumping out or they're bailing out. Well, you should already be there. There should be at least one coach paying attention to their hitting approach. Are they swinging a good pitches or not? And is their swing just, are they just, their timing terrible, et cetera? I mean, you should be paying attention to that. Definitely swinging at good pitches versus not. That's something that should be really coached up at the younger levels and even the older levels, but definitely the younger levels. But as you're watching them, you can just have that line painted, that painted line behind them or a string, and you just tally up how many times they jump behind it. And the player with the fewest or the players with the fewest should receive or could receive a reward. Something that's baseball related would be ideal, like picking their favorite position for the upcoming game. 
game, et cetera. You do Gatorades, things like that or whatnot. I think you should tie it into something like picking their favorite position or letting them choose or letting them pick their spot in the lineup or something like that. Those kids or that kid that jumps back, that bails out the least. So a little reward, of course, it's not going to fix all your kids that bail out, jump out, that are a phobia of getting hit by the, the ball. I wonder if there's a term for that, like pitchophobia or HBP phobia. I don't know if there's a term for that in the medical dictionary. There should be, because that is a common phobia of getting hit by a ball, right? Getting hit by a pitch. So this is one thing that can help. There's other things. In high school, our coach used to take Incredibles and he would hit us with Incredibles. He would actually throw them at us. Now, I don't recommend doing this. I don't know. You could do this back in the mid nineties. And I mean, definitely in the eighties and the seventies. I don't know what you can get away with now, but he would throw Incredibles at us. And you're like, well, Incredible is a softer, kind of a soft core baseball. And you might be thinking, well, that kind of defeats the purpose. Well, his, and he told me years later when I was talking to him about this, he said he didn't do it for the physical part. He did it for the mental part. He did it so you would not, we would not, the players would not instinctively jump away from the ball. We would be okay because you had the whole team watching you and the whole team would have to run. I think he had a sprint. We'd have to sprint like 380 feet, like center field fence and back. So I guess it would be 380 times two. What's that? 760. So we'd have to go 760 feet, uh, a sprint. The whole team would if if somebody bails. So you sure as heck weren't going to bail and and leave your team like out to dry, literally have have them run a darn near a quarter mile sprint. So you would stay in there and it was that mindset of getting hit by the pitch and seeing the the ball hit you. And I wouldn't throw it full speed and you wouldn't throw it from the mound. They'd be about 40 feet away instead of 60 feet. And they would throw it about 40 miles an hour. You would sting a little. It wouldn't hurt. It would just sting a little. But it was the idea of changing the mindset. You could maybe do this with tennis balls for youth players. I don't know. That's up to you. I mean, if it was my son, I'd be throwing Incredibles at him. But, uh, you know, nowadays, the legalities, I swear, you know, everybody's looking to to sue everybody. It seems like, unfortunately, it's not a good thing. But uh, I think that's just softening up our kids big time. So maybe the the tennis ball, the the tennis ball coming at them and hitting them, just that perception, something like that could help instill like they don't initially bail. They get kind of accustomed to, and I'm not saying they should sit in there and just take one on the face, of course, in a game or something like that. They should try to protect themselves. But what this coach was saying on the Facebook group was that his team was bailing out like the pitch was right down the middle. So maybe you put a chalk line or a spray paint line or a string in the batter's box during batting practice and the player that bails the least, that steps in the bucket the least, that jumps out of the way the least or the players that do it the least, they get a reward or they don't have to clean up at the end or they don't or they get to pick their position in an upcoming game or they get a Gatorade or they get to pick their spot in the lineup or they get to pick where the team goes for their after game meal. You can think of the different rewards, of course and go from there. Speaking of getting our players or keeping them from getting soft, keep in mind what we talked about in this episode just a little bit ago about when your team's getting boat raced, don't get mad at the other team for scoring more runs. Let's not make a world of just these kids are getting soft. They can't handle getting beat 20 to nothing. Life is going to beat you down sometimes. Sometimes it's going to, when it rains, it pours in life. And you know what? We got to deal with that. And nothing's worse than a pity party from the other team. We want to toughen kids up. We also got to set the parameters up. We got to set the the game up. So it it's not just yelling and screaming and telling them to be tougher and making them do a 700 foot bear crawl on blacktop that might may or may not have broken glass. 
Toughness is kind of the environment that we create as a whole. And I think that if we instill in our kids, going back to that message we talked about earlier, hey, when the other team gets up a lot, they need to be easy on you. Well, I don't agree with that now. I did learn from my mistake. I made that mistake years ago and I I was brought up that way. That was how baseball is. And that's the unwritten rule. That's what I did. I, I followed that rule like a sheep that when you're up a lot or down a lot, then you just sit on the base and just don't go anywhere, even though the ball literally just bounced over the backstop. But hey, you know, or a guy hits a ball off the wall and everybody moves one base and they're just waiting while the outfielders are throwing the ball back in. Everybody's just sitting there with their hands crossed. Their runners are just sitting there like, uh-huh, we're so good. We don't even have to run. We're taking it easy on you. Want to toughen kids up? Let's do a few things to get them a little tougher. We want them to take some pitches, not be afraid to get hit by a pitch. And uh, also, let's not uh, have them be afraid to get uh, scored a lot of runs on or vice versa. Score a lot of runs on another team. It's just, just that's the game. And get yourself some throwdown bases and some all-weather baseballs for those wet field conditions. And if you're in an area that has a lot more rain or a lot more inclement weather, the weather conditions change. You get a lot of damp field, wet rain, whatnot. Make sure you get yourself some inclement weather. I wouldn't have an equal amount necessarily unless you can afford it, but at least have something to fall back on to get those reps in as best you can on those inclement days. So while the other team might be sitting at home playing video games, you're getting some more reps in and you're also sending a message to your kids. Hey, you got to get out there and go. It doesn't matter if it's raining. I went to visit my my grandma in Montana and it was winter time and it was two below and I went outside and down the street they were working on a house a construction crew it was two below I just in my head I thought well everything, everything just kind of shuts down these guys are out there two below it was snowing the snow's coming down it's super cold didn't matter these guys are and I thought about that I'm like you know you don't just change you gotta adapt you gotta adjust it's like building homes in Phoenix in the summertime you think those construction workers are stopping their work heck no it's 118 degrees in the shade they're just going to keep going. They keep grinding. And we got to send that message to our kids a little bit tougher. So having that inclement weather gear, throw it on bases, all weather baseballs. All right. Love being here with all of you guys. Go over to 8020baseball.com. Check that out. I usually say email me, but I don't want to have you email me just yet. You can go on Facebook. You can find me on Facebook or on Twitter, Coach Bo on Twitter. You can find me there and you can message me on Twitter or Facebook. I'll see you here next week. And I'm going to share with you a unique kind of rare play and this little dialogue that I was listening to some coaches go back and forth on on this unique play that we're talking about. I want to get your thoughts on what to do on this play, this very unique play that doesn't happen very often. So next week, I want to just talk about this, break it down. I want you to think about it as we talk about it. Also, next week, we're going to talk about why you should not trust the process. We hear this a lot. Trust the process. Trust the process. I'm going to tell you next week why I don't recommend you and I trusting the process. I'm going to talk about something a little unique on this, and I think it's going to be very helpful, very advantageous for you coaches to hear this message next week. And until then, take care. Adios. This has been the 8020 Baseball Masterclass. Take it to the field.